again. I'm really excited to kick off this new message series that we're calling The Way of Jesus, Radical Love and Action. And the purpose behind this 10-week series that we're going to be embarking on today is that we want you to understand the mission and heart of Journey Church. We want you to know who we are and why we do the things that we do. If you cut us, what would we bleed? What are the things that are inside of us? And you saw even in that intro video, some of the aspects of our mission statement. Our mission statement is simply, we lead people to radical love and action like Jesus. I wanna talk a little bit about those last two words there, like Jesus. This is just a little add-on at the end of our mission statement. Those two words right there, actually for us as a church, define discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And Chris talked about this last week. And if you didn't see that sermon, go back and watch it because it lays the foundation for everything that we're gonna talk about over these next 10 weeks. That being like Jesus is what it means to be a disciple, that we actually follow him in such a way, we look at his life and walk in his steps in such a way that we actually become like Jesus. Our character starts to look more like the character of Jesus. And the things that we do and the ministry, the things that we're about in our life start to reflect the life and ministry and motivation of Jesus. We walk in his footsteps. So if you're new here to Journey Church, maybe this is your first week or you're newer around here, this is an awesome time for you to be here. Because over this next 10 weeks, you're gonna hear about who is this spiritual family? What is it that they're about? Because what we believe to be true is that for us to grow in our faith, we learn and grow as disciples together. And I want you to know crystal clear what it is that we're about. So you can ask the question, do I want to be a part of this spiritual family? Do I want to commit my life to being a part of what they're about? Because it's not about being a part of an organization. Biblically, we're about being a family together. Is this going to be my spiritual family? And there might be some of you that you've been around Journey for a while now. But if you were honest and described your own experience and involvement around here, you'd say, I kind of feel like I've been on the bench. I kind of feel like I'm watching what's happening from the stands. I feel a little bit more like a spectator. My hope is that during this series, as you begin to understand what it means for us to follow Jesus, when I say us, I mean us as a spiritual family, something inside you would say, I want to be about that. I want to push all my chips to the middle of the table. I want to be about what's going on here. I don't want to, no longer do I want to be a spectator. I want to be a player. I want to be a part of what's happening, what God is doing in our valley. Maybe you've been around Journey for a long time. A long time. Maybe even since the beginning, 12 years ago, you've been around. But you're looking in your heart and you're just seeing, I don't have the passion that I once had. My hope is that this series would be a reminder to you why it is that we're about the things that we are. And as we paint that picture for you of what it means to follow Jesus, the greatness of Jesus, that something in you would pound the table and say, yes, I wanna be a part of it. I remember why I got involved in this in the first place. Yes, that matters. I want to give my life to that. But if we're going to follow Jesus, I mean, really follow Jesus the way that I'm talking about, we got to see him. We've got to see him and we've got to see him incredibly clearly. 
Jesus can't just be kind of this fuzzy image, this mirage off in the distance. We've got to see him clearly. When my kids were growing up, I kind of did the cultural thing around Halloween. We dressed our kids up really cute and went around to houses and got candy. It was just kind of a routine thing, just going house to house to house. You'd knock on the door, the door would open, the kids would open up their bag, Something, a treat would be thrown in their bag, they would close the bag, and they would move on. You did this routine, house after house after house, until somebody gave up. Either the parents got tired or the kids got tired, and it was time to go home. And then when you got home, it was just delving out all the candy, separating it into all of your favorite things. That was just kind of the normal thing that we did on Halloween. But there was one Halloween that was a little bit different. The routine was broken because we came to this one house And when the door opened up, something standing there that we did not expect. It wasn't a normal candy hander outer. There was this young girl. She was probably in her late teens and she was dressed like a white angel. White leotard, big white wings. She had this little halo on her head, makeup. And makeup on her face was sparkly. As just the, the lights of the entry, it just shone as she opened up the door. And I looked down at my son, and this was my son. <laughs> he was just standing there, speechless, didn't say a word. So awkward. <laughs> but she just stood there, beautiful, radiant. And suddenly... He kind of rocked back a little bit further and he said, wow, you are so beautiful. And she knelt down and got in his face and she said, and you young man just made my day. Totally unexpected, totally caught off guard, totally taken back, captivated, mesmerized journey as we're walking into this series that's the picture that's been in my mind as I've prayed for this series that I've prayed for us in this room that this wouldn't be a series where we just kind of routinely file in here open up our Bible hope that someone on the stage throws us a treat close up our Bible say thank you and move on to the next week Lord, don't let that happen. Let this be a series that as we open up the word, we would be captivated. We would be mesmerized. We would maybe see Jesus in a way that we've never seen him before. And it would change us. That we would leave here and we would just say, wow, he is so beautiful. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just invite you here in your power and in your glory to do what I've just described. Holy Spirit, it is your job, it is your desire to magnify and to glorify Jesus. Would you do that in this place and in this time and through this series? Don't let us just walk in here and walk out. Let our lives be changed and changed forever for your glory. 
In Jesus' name, amen. I want to just ask an honest question. Has it been a while since you've seen him? Seen Jesus? I mean, really, really seen him. If you're at a place in your life right now where your prayers seem stale, maybe even non-existence, it's probably been a while since you've seen him, really seen him. If your faith feels like it's melting and your fears feel like they're mounting, perhaps your vision of Jesus has gotten a little bit fuzzy. If you can't find the power to face your problems that are coming at you day after day after day, maybe it's time to look him in the face again. And maybe that picture of your guilt and shame in your mind is way more clear than his grace and his love. It's time. It's time for you to be captivated again by his beauty. Are you indifferent? Apathetic, lukewarm. I just want to say he is probably more distant than you know and definitely more distant than you want. It is time to see him. So I want us to do during this series. As we step into today, there's going to be a disciple that's going to guide us into seeing Jesus and his name was John. And he wrote the gospel of John and he's going to help guide us to the feet of Jesus And he wants us more than anything to see Jesus because he was someone that saw Jesus. And he was never, never the same. There's a couple of unique things about John that I want you to know as we head in today. There's some interesting things that he does in his writing. In his writing of the Gospel of John, multiple times in the book of John, he refers to himself in the third person, which is not that unusual, but he refers to himself in the third person as this the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, I remember when I first started reading the Bible, I would read that and I would just think, what's John's deal? He seems like he's kind of full of himself a little bit. Maybe a little bit boastful, a little bit prideful. Maybe on an extreme, even borderline narcissistic. No way. God is not gonna let someone that is prideful and narcissistic write his book. For John, that was his identity. That is who he saw himself as. When he got up in the morning and looked in the mirror, you know what John saw? He didn't see a loser. He didn't see a failure. He didn't see someone who wasn't able to handle the things of life. He didn't see his brokenness. In fact, when John looked in the mirror, the voice that he heard was not the voice of condemnation or the voice of accusation. In his life, the voice that he heard was the voice of Jesus that says, you're my beloved. I love you. When John says he was the disciple that Jesus loved, he didn't mean that he was the disciple that Jesus loved, meaning he was the only one. In fact, the reason that he writes this book to us is that he wants us to know who Jesus is and he wants us to know you too are and can be the disciple that Jesus loves. That's his goal. And there's something really interesting about John's account as well that's different than the other gospel writers. You see, the other gospel writers, when they started telling the story of Jesus, they started either at his birth or at the start of his earthly ministry. But that's not where John starts. 
He doesn't start the story of Jesus there because that is not the beginning of the story of Jesus. In fact, as we're gonna find out today, the story of Jesus had no beginning. We're gonna read through a text of scripture that's on your notes. And uh, I've never done this before, but as I've studied this and reflected and read on this this week, it has so moved me that I just wanna ask us, could we stand for the reading of God's scripture today? I feel like we're on holy ground as we read John chapter one, verses one through 14. Here's what John said. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing has been made that has been, nothing made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not understood it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. But verse nine, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. This is God's word. You can be seated. When John starts out this text, Friends, he immediately, he throws us into the deep end of the theological pool as he starts to paint this picture of the pre-incarnate Christ, the majesty of who Christ was in the beginning. I just want to highlight a few things that he wants us to know. And we see in this text that he is equating the word with Jesus. So anywhere where we read in this text the word, you can plug in the name Jesus. And I'm going to do that as I read. First John, it says, in the beginning was Jesus. What John wants us to know is that Jesus is eternal. He is not created. He was not made. And Jesus was with God in the beginning, meaning that Jesus was in relationship with God. John is starting to help us understand this idea of what we've come to know as the Trinity. He doesn't talk about the Holy Spirit here, but he's talking about in all of eternity, God has existed in relationship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in relationship together, Jesus. And the Word was God. In case there was any confusion about anything he said before, he said the Word was God. Jesus in his very essence and nature was God. Everything that makes God, God was present in Jesus. He was with God in the beginning. 
And through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Just think about that for a second. Jesus is the creator of the world. Oftentimes, I don't think about that when I think about Jesus. Jesus is the creator of the world. Nothing was made apart from him. Isn't that amazing to think? Think about Jesus, that soft, calm voice that invited children to him, talked to them, whispered to him. That voice, at one point in the past, boomed in the beginning, and he created everything that we see. Jesus is the creator. And in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Jesus was bringing light and life into a world that was dark and death reigned. John starts in those first four verses. He does everything he can to paint this picture for us, this majestic picture of who Jesus is. Because we've got to have that kind of a majestic picture in our mind if we're gonna understand the magnitude of what John says in verse 14. This high, high, this high and lifted up Christ became low. In verse 14, the majestic became a man. Verse 14 says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. We can't skip by this. We've got to allow the magnitude of what John is saying right here to settle in to our mind, to settle into our soul. God became a man. God became a man. Deity grabbed a hold of humanity through his humility. In humility, deity became humanity. Friends, God came near. God became one of us. Wow. What does that mean? What does that mean to us? Why is this so important to John to start his letter to make sure that we understand this? This is what it means. For 33 years, God would feel everything that you and I have ever felt. He felt weak. He felt weary. He felt the fear of failure. He gut laughed, probably at something Peter did. (laughs) He cried. Don't forget the tears, he cried. He got colds, he burped, God burped. There were days that he had bad breath, there were days that he had body odor, there were days that God had a bad hair day. His feelings got hurt, his feet got tired, and he had headaches. Every once in a while, he would tweet, hashtag, the struggle is real. He felt everything that we felt. 
Friends, to think about Jesus in this light, it was hard for me to write this on a page, even harder to say it out loud, because there's something about just saying that that feels disrespectful to him. It feels irreverent. We don't like to do it. It made me feel uncomfortable to say what I just said to you. We wanna try to clean things up a little bit sometimes. We wanna kind of clean the manure away from the manger that he was born in. We wanna wipe the sweat and the dirt off of his face after a hard day's work. We wanna pretend that he never snored, he never blew his nose, he never hit his thumb with a hammer like every carpenter did. Somehow I just think it's easier to try to imagine Jesus in that way, just divine out there. But there's something about just keeping him divine that also has the power to keep him distant, to keep him packaged, to keep him predictable. Don't do it. Friends, we can't do it. We need to let him be as human as he was intended to be. We need to allow him to come into the muck and the mire and the crap of this world. We need to allow him to come into the muck and to the mire and the crap of our life. Because it's as he comes into the muck and the mire of our life that he can actually grab us and pull us out. That's why it's so important that he became a man. In Hebrews 2, the writer says this in verse 17. It says, for this reason, he had to be made like them, meaning us, fully human in every way. How many ways? Every way. You know what the Greek means? Every. Every. All ways. In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for their sins of the people, for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Friends, he had to become human so that he could understand us, so that he could grab us. Jesus became a human and you know what he did? He lived the life that we should have lived. And he also died the death that we deserved to die. And friends, he died in our place as a man, taking what we deserved. What we understand from the incarnation, what John is talking about here, is that God gets you, he understands you because he's been you. He has been you. And we've got to look at that and say, wow, that is beautiful. He gets me. The voice that said to the people and to us, love your neighbor, was the same voice that had his neighbors try to kill him. The challenge that Jesus gave to leave your family, leave everything for the sake of the gospel was spoken by someone who stood in the doorway of his house, kissed his mom goodbye for the sake of what it was that God was calling him, what the father was calling him to do. When Jesus said, pray for those who push that, when Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you, that prayer, that command 
came from the lips of someone who was one day gonna cry out, forgive them, God, because they don't know what they're doing. He cried for mercy for people that were killing him. Love your enemies. That was a command that came from someone that laid there still and silent as a minimum wage Roman soldier drove spikes through his hands, nailing him to a cross. Jesus knows. The word became flesh. God came near. He gets you. He understands. This whole following him thing, he doesn't ask us to do anything that he didn't do himself. He gets us. And the writer of Hebrews also says this in Hebrews chapter four. He says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did it without sin. Yet he did not sin, he gets you. I actually hope that I've been, as I've been talking here for the last few minutes, that in the back of your mind somewhere, you're saying to yourself, maybe just a little bit, that's crazy. That's crazy what he's saying there. God became a man. That's kind of absurd. And the reason that I hope that is not because I hope that you think I'm crazy or that I'm absurd, but if you actually think the things that I'm saying are crazy and absurd, you know what it means? It means you're actually starting to understand the magnitude of what John is talking about here. I think the most dangerous response that any of us could have in this room right now is, meh, I've heard that before. We've got to see the beauty and the magnitude of what he did. It's crazy, it's absurd. But the only thing more absurd then deity, through humility, embracing humanity and coming to this earth, bringing this treasure to us, the only thing more absurd than that is our unwillingness to receive what it is that he's done for us in the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection. I imagine that as John wrote these next verses that I'm gonna read that I read to you earlier, I imagine something in him was just sad, Maybe even tears rolled down his face as he wrote this because he wants us to see Jesus. He wants us to see the real Jesus, but he realized people are missing it. They're just missing it. Verse five, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not understood it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Didn't recognize him. Didn't receive him. Said, I'm gonna keep him at a distance. Why? Why do we keep him at a distance? I bet the, the reasons are vast. There's a spectrum. Maybe some people are just thinking, I got it together, I don't need him. Maybe some people are thinking, I don't deserve him. He doesn't want me. Maybe some people are just thinking, I 
want to run my own life. I want to be captain of my own ship. Whatever the reasons are, we keep him at a distance. We don't recognize him. But then John writes one word at the beginning of verse 12. The verse, the word, yet. Yet. The word yet, it's got so much hope, so much opportunity. It is a powerful word. Here's what John says. Yet, even in the face of all this rejection, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Yet, yet God invites us to respond to him, to bow to him, to surrender to him, to become one of his children. He doesn't ask us to be a slave. He doesn't ask us to be an employee. He asks us to be his child. Wow. And then 2,000 years ago, people spit on his face, yet he loved them. His own people, he came to his own people And they stripped him naked and they ripped his incarnated flesh. Yet, yet he still died for them. And even today, we, we can chase after everything in this world that's not him. Power, money, sex. We can try to chase all those things that we want more than we want him. Yet he still makes himself available to us. He waits for us to humble ourselves before him and to come to him. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense, does it? It's not logical. It's not analytical. It doesn't make sense. But that's why it's so beautiful. That's why it's so beautiful. That's why we've got to rock back on our heels and just say, wow, only God can love like that. And that's why, friends, when we think about this love of Jesus, we watched him put radical love in action as he came to this earth as a man. We've got to ask ourselves, how do we take that same kind of action? If, meaning, if following Jesus means that we are going to imitate his life, how do we Im- imitate the incarnation? How do we become like him? I love how Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of the New Testament called The Message, how he translated Verse 14, he says, the word became flesh and blood and he moved into the neighborhood. That's what it means for us to imitate the incarnation. If you know Jesus, he lives in you. The power of his spirit is present in you. And he says, take me, take me into the neighborhood with you. Take me into the places where you live, your real neighborhood. Take me into the places that you work. Take me into the places where you go to class. Take me into the places where you play. Take me to those places. Let me love people through you. You're gonna be my hands and feet in this world. You're gonna be the ones. I'm gonna do it through you. I'm gonna bring my hope and my help through you. One of the pictures that has captivated me around this whole Harvey thing Beyond the sadness of the devastation is these pictures that I saw of these rescuers. 
in their boats going up and down these things that used to be streets that now are rivers. But they're driving up and down these streets and they're yelling out to people in the houses, if you need help, come out. I think that's what Eugene Peterson's talking about. That's going to the neighborhood to help. And you know what else I noticed about these people? In those videos that I saw, very few of them, almost none of them were trained professional search and rescue people. You know what they were? They were guys named Bill and Al and Bob. And they had Budweiser hats on backwards. And they had camo jackets on. And they had a love for people and they had a bass boat. (laughs) And they said, we're going to the neighborhood. We're going to the neighborhood. That's how we imitate the incarnation. Friends, we don't have flooding devastation around our city. But our city is flooded with fear. Fear about the future. Our city is flooded with hopelessness. Our city is flooded with injustice. Our city is flooded with emptiness. And Jesus is saying, take me to the neighborhood. Take me to your neighborhood. Take me with you. That's how we imitate the incarnation. And I want to go back to where we first started because the first thing I told you about John, I think is so important. His identity, his identity was, I am the disciple that Jesus loved. He was so taken back by the magnitude of the incarnation. He couldn't think about anything other than how much God loved him. And this is what I believe to be true. And this is why this beginning, this prologue to John's letter was so important to him. I think as he read it and as he wrote it and he reflected on it, he just saw the love of God being poured out into his life over and over and over again. He was so full of the reality of the resurrected Christ that would be willing to become a man and come into his life, that it filled him up. And the more that he began to be filled up, there came a time where it just began to spill over out of his life, into the life of people around him. He was never the same. This is the picture, friends, why the incarnation, why this text is so important. Because as we start to internalize this, as we allow this to pour into our life, This reality is going to take us to a place where we can't think of anything other than how much God must love us. And when we have a lot of something, it is very easy for us to be generous. We can give it out to people around us. If we feel like we don't have very much of something, it's hard to give. So John is saying, you've got to remember the incarnation. You've got to remember what Jesus did. Because it's in reflection and remembering on that that you're going to know how much he loves you and you're going to be able to take it to the neighborhood. We need to understand the incarnation. Out of honor for Christ, friends, I want to give Christ the last word in your life today. I want to give him the opportunity to speak into your life. You can just put your things aside. I want to just give you an opportunity to reflect and just ask God, is there anything, God, that you want to say to me? Is there any action that you would want me to take? Jesus, we never want to forget what you did. 
we always want to remember that you came to us. You as God came near. You entered into this world so that we could see you, so that we could know what God is like, know how God would handle situations. And Jesus, we want to follow you. We want to look at the things that you did. We want to look at who you were. We want to walk in your footsteps. And we want to do that as a family around here. Help us know how you would be asking us to put radical love in action the same way that you did. And Jesus, it's in your powerful, incarnated and resurrected name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.